Hey, what's up everyone? It's Devin. I'm a psychiatrist and the host of the Huddle Wisdom podcast. I'm really happy that you could join me today. In this episode, I'm going to be speaking with my friend and colleague, Tansy Benison. She's a clinical psychologist. She's an excellent psych uh, psychologist, therapist, but she's also got a wonderful program that she's put together. Uh, it's called the Chillax program. And it in my understanding, is a way to um, teach both parents and children and teachers foundational skills that can help us all to connect with one another, especially when we are troubled by difficult emotions. And we all know what that is like. Um, Tansy's approach is uh, practical. It's respectful um, and it's simple but it's certainly not easy to put into practice however it really provides a framework on which you can hang the things that you already know and do but better I hope I haven't oversold that Tansy forgive me if I have but um, I think anything that Tansy does is great so please do go check that out, chillax. I'm going to put the details in the show notes, as I said earlier. This episode, we're going to specifically talk about how we support kids who are anxious, how we navigate our own anxiety in order to connect our kids who are struggling with that. Thank you so much, Tansy, for, um, for joining us on the Huddle Wisdom podcast today. Really appreciate you being here. Tansy, um, uh, the, the, <laughs> the listeners would have had a little bit of an introduction before we started, but just in case people missed that, um, I understand that you're, well, I know that you are a clinical psychologist. Um, I consider you a friend and a colleague, and we've shared lots of um, mutual patients over the years. Um, and um, yeah, I'm really grateful that you could join us today to talk a little bit about what you do. Um, but I was also really keen to pick your brain about how we can uh, support children who are anxious and how we can help kids who are anxious to feel courageous about seeking help for their anxiety. Um, yeah. So thank you again for, for joining us today. Um, I wondered if, if you would like uh, to share a little bit about yourself and um, tell the audience, um, you know, um, who you are, what, what you do, and you can be as brief or as long as you like. Yeah. <laughs> Great. Thank you so much for having me, Devin. This is a, a new experience for me, and I'm really pleased to be here learning how to do something like this, or just, I guess, recognizing that it's not so scary as I thought. <laughs> so thank you so much for this opportunity um, to share some of my sort of learnings from over time and working with young people. Um, and also just some of my thinking around um, anxiety, which just seems to be everywhere we look at the moment. 
So um, yes, my name is Tansy Benison. I'm a clinical psychologist and I work um, predominantly in private practice at the moment here in Toranga. And um, so I see mostly children, young people and their families. Um, but a huge part of that work is supporting adults as well in their parenting. Um, and this journey is tough journey of parenting that's full of challenging challenges. So I draw on my clinical experience and training, but also on my own experience as being a mom. I get it. It's hard to feel like you're doing a good job some days. So um, I really enjoy that part of my work as well. And overall, it benefits the young people mm. that I'm supporting and the young people just trying to make their way in the world out there. I, I can I can really relate to that because, um, you know, we, we have uh, kids at home ourselves. Being, being a dad, sometimes I feel quite um, guilty that I'm not doing the things that I'm advising um, parents or educators to do because, you know, in the heat of the moment, um, when your own emotion kicks in, um, it, it can be quite hard to, to just stop and, and, and think and just, um, just be right. And, and then, <laughs> um, and so one of the things that I really appreciate about, um, talking with, with other colleagues like yourself is that I think it's a good reminder that, um, you know, parent parenting or raising kids is, is not easy. Um, yeah. And I guess what, I don't know about you, but I, I, cons I do consider um, my, myself lucky that, you know, I've got the space because it's part of the job to actually just think about parenting because um, mm -hmm. that's what part of the job is. And, um, yes. and so I think we, we have a little bit of um, uh, not an advantage, but maybe um, uh, but I think we're in a privileged position that we, we, we can sit and reflect about mm. how to parent kids, whereas other people who don't do this sort of work, they, they don't have the, the time or the energy or the space to do that. You know, they do their non-clinical, uh, mm. non-psychology, non-psychiatry work, um, and then they come home and, you know, no, no, it, it's, it's um, yeah, it, it's hard. It's, it's hard. Yeah. It is, it is absolutely. And even for those of us, you know, in the know who have the privilege of, you know, access to all the resources and the science and each other to kind of bounce ideas off of, um, there's still days where I'm not getting it right, you know? So, um, I guess the big thing that I try and keep in mind is that there, that there's no such thing as the perfect parent. We don't have to be perfect. In fact, I would try not to be perfect because I think that does a, a big disservice to our children as well, but actually just mm. um, having the best of intentions at heart. Um, yes. And I have no doubt, you know, that every parent I've ever met has the best of intentions. They want the best for their kids. And we just don't give up trying to kind of improve ourselves to offer them the best that we can. Mm. Um, and there's going to be some days that are chaotic and that are messy. And that is part of the journey. And that's not necessarily going to be damaging to our kids. Yeah. Um, it's just, we've got to pick ourselves up the next day and start again and again, try to do our best. Um, but also 
I think we have to get better at leaning on each other as well. We've become very independent in our view of parenting and feeling like we have to do it ourselves and we can't Mm. share kind of those challenges or those perceived failures with one another. And I think we do a real disservice to ourselves because we're feeling increasingly more isolated in this really, really tough job that was always designed to be done really more as a tribe or as a group um, rather than alone. Um, So I see that as a huge factor these days that is stressing us out. We're doing it all by ourselves and we don't have the benefit of being able to sort of really connect with others on a more meaningful level and actually just be authentic and true. And this is who I am, warts and all sort of thing. We, we try really hard to cover that side up. Mm. Um, and I think it can make us feel even more disconnected than ever. I, I, I like what you said there because I think, you know, when we think about how do we, how do, how do we tra- tra- transfer these sorts of values to our kids, you know, how we um, we want them to learn to recognize their limits, but feel okay about that. Um, and also know that they don't have to um, pretend not to, they don't have to pretend to be okay when they're not. And I think it's helpful for parents, um, like what you were saying, to be authentic with their kids, because then you can model that to your children. And um, um I think that's very, very powerful because, um, as you know, you know, kids learn stuff by osmosis and they just pick stuff up. They're like little sponges and sometimes they pick stuff up that you don't want them to pick up, but they, they, they do anyway. <laughs> so I, I think being mindful of, yeah, of, of our limitations, our, um, uh, the, the sad reality of parenting as an island. Um, yeah. I think, um, yeah, I think, I think it helps us to, um, to preempt problems as well. Um, so, I mean, with that in mind, you know, you, you were talking about how we were, we were supposed to do this work, parenting uh, as a tribe, as a community, as village. Um, do, do you um, have any advice or, or have you, uh, in well, in your in your work with with parents and families and and kids um, who who feel alone or isolated, um, what sort sort of things do you find yourself telling them? You know, how do you encourage them to to connect to um, mm-hmm. uh, to to step outside of their comfort zone and and and, and link in with 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 others. Mm-hmm. I think it's got to be a conscious choice that you make, because I think, you know, the reality is we're all busy, like really, Mm. truly, we're very, very busy. We pack a lot into our days. And that is just the way that the Western world has become these days. Um, But I think what often slips down our list of priorities is that connection, that connectedness, because we, it, it does mean that we have to be vulnerable. It does mean that we have to kind of be true we have to kind of open up about things that we don't have all figured out at times and so we kind of prioritize the things that we feel like we are in control of and that we do have figured out Um, and I think that is causing a lot further sort of disconnection amongst us so Mm -hmm. I think you know I talk a lot about um, conscious values-based choices and I think this applies 
to adults, young people and children that actually, if you know what really truly matters to you as an individual, if you're really clear about that, then you can make really conscious, considered choices about um, how you respond to situations, how you organize your life, how you go about your day. Um, Mm. So you kind of use your values, what really matters to you, the battles worth fighting for um, as like a compass, as a guide in terms of how you go about your life, because we might all kind of list, you know, a set of values that sounds amazing on paper, but, you know, the way that we live is what we prioritize. Like those are our priorities. So the choices Mm. that we make every day, if they're consistent with our values, then we've got a really great um, formula there for life satisfaction. But if the choices we make every day are inconsistent with what we've written down as our values on a piece of paper, Mm. then actually the choices we're making are actually our priorities. Those are what we are putting into action. And if that's inconsistent with what you value, that can lead to quite a lot of disconnection and, Mm. um, dissatisfaction. So I guess getting back to your question, Devin, it is really about making really conscious values-based choices about what you want and what you need in your life to be at your best. And human beings are social animals. That's the way we're designed. That's that's the way we were born to, to relate mm. to each other. We're stronger together than we are apart, mm. um, even though it's challenging together a lot of the time. Um, so if you want more connection, if you kind of want to break free of the sort of independent kind of isolated version um, that our lives can often become, then you do need to make a conscious effort to prioritize time to spend with people. Um, Mm -hmm. We can talk a lot about having relationships with people, but unless we actually make a point of spending time with people, that's just a a theory. It's just hope. It's a wish. It's not an actuality. Um, And being with people is not always the easiest way to go. Sometimes it's much easier just to do it by yourself. Yes. Uh, but if you want value connection and you want that sense of connectedness and you want less isolation, then it means taking a big, brave step in that direction and actually making that mm-hmm. happen rather do than you, just talking about it. Do, do, you, do you think that it's getting more difficult for kids and teenagers to intentionally um, seek connection with people like that. Um, and, and the reason why I'm asking this is just because I'm quite aware that, um, you know, we, we live in quite a digital age and, um, you know, there's so much exposure to um, uh, all kinds of social media distractions. And, um, you know, I think, I think um, there's something to be said about meeting with people face-to-face in, in the flesh um, but um, we do know also that for people who struggle with um, uh, social anxiety and connection, um, that they, 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 they prefer to choose the path of least resistance, which is to, you know, um, to communicate with others on, on social media. But we also know that social media is a two-edged sword because, you know, you, you, you're not always going to be exposed to... Um, um uh you know sort of a broad um uh, section of society you're going to curate your own um people which might not be healthy but you get sort of drawn further and further into um into that so mm. 
for, for I, I like what you're saying about being intentional and deliberate about seeking out people. So do you, do you have things that you, you advise parents to do or, or to, to, to say or to help their children to, mm. to, to start connecting with people in real life? Mm. Yeah, I think, um, I think technology and devices have a place in our lives. We can't deny yeah. that. And um, I don't think that it's necessarily helpful unless you start right from the beginning when your kids are very, very little about saying none of it. Yeah. Um, because act, actually, you know, they'll go to school and suddenly devices are a huge part of their education. Mm. Um, and it is a huge part of how they socialize. So I think having really clear um, boundaries or guidelines in any home around sort of technology or device use, I think is really important, particularly to keep our kids safe on there. Mm. Um, but I, I have seen it even in my own home, particularly with my son and his friends is that they really do connect over the technology side of things. Mm. Um, and if he weren't playing some of those games, he would be out of the circle at school. He would have nothing to talk to these kids about. Mm. Um, when I watch them playing, like sometimes we'll have some friends over here with him and they're playing together. They're mm. playing like a sports game online together. And actually that's more social than I've seen them be in lots of other environments. So I think it has a lot to do with kind of how, how they're connecting and engaging and what right. role the game plays in that and also what they're playing. Yes. Um, because you have to just be careful about the messaging that's coming across. Um, and I think this day and age, you know, gone are the days where you can just hop on your bike and go down to your mate's house two minutes down the road mm. and their mom is home and you just pop in and out like some families are lucky to still have that, but the majority of families don't have that in that parents aren't getting home till 5.30, 6 o'clock at night. Kids are mm -hmm. out and about at sports, at um, after school clubs, whatever it is. And so you can't just hop on your bike and go see your friends like you used to as easily anymore. Mm -hmm. um, so I think that, you know, the online side of things does help with connecting them when they can't get to each other. Mm -hmm. um, but I don't think it should be an either or. I think it has to be a both kind of scenario that, yes, you know, devices have their their place and well monitored, then actually it can be really useful. Um, and particularly for those kids who really struggle in like a face-to-face -face social sort of scenario. Yeah. Yes, that can be helpful. But I think because they, they've got that online social world doesn't mean that we completely give up on the real world mm. on the real life world and i think it's got to be an ongoing work in progress where individuals are being exposed within what they can handle and manage and for different individuals that will be a lot less or a lot more mm. um, depending on who they are and what their needs are but i think there's got to be a conscious attempt to be amongst the world be mm. amongst people because it's really really good for our mental health and yeah. well-being yes um we weren't designed to kind of just operate in isolation and these days we can actually do that we can get away with doing that but mm. it is a very small life and you know i suspect that it's not nearly as fulfilling as it could be um mm. and you know some people are a lot more introverted they don't like the big parties they don't like being surrounded with people making small talk that they're never going to see again and that's okay but mm. let's tailor it to the individual and who they are and how they are in terms of okay but you know you can still 
perhaps um, come with mom to run an errand or, you know, um, we could walk the dog and be out amongst kind of our community yes. and our neighbors, or we could head over to the park and, you know, play on mm. the swing. Like we can still be amongst people without kind of saying, right, I'm going to go to this party yes. um, that's really going to throw me out of my comfort zone. And it's like a sink or swim situation. Mm. So it's just got to be a conscious attempt to, to socialize beyond home Home is our refuge. It's supposed to be our safe place, ideally. Mm. Um, and that's where we're comfortable and we can do things that we enjoy and we feel safe. But we can't do that while excluding this whole other part of our experience and our existence. Yes. Um, because that would be limiting so many opportunities going forward. Mm. Um, and no, it's not It's not good for us. Mm. So it's, it's, there's no... We, we can't apply... Um, uh, a, a black and white mentality to the use of social media. It's almost as though you're saying that it doesn't. Um, I'm I'm sort of paraphrasing what you're saying, but it's almost like it doesn't matter what the medium of connection is. It's more important that the connection happens in whatever way that you can manage it or, or get it. Um, mm -hmm. um, which I guess which which makes sense because if we're all different um, people with different skill bases and, um, uh, you know, capaci capacities and um, uh, we all have different tolerance to stress and anxiety. So if, if we're socially anxious and, and we can use social media to connect meaningfully, um, who's to say that's unhealthy um, so yeah, I, I, I agree with what you're saying. I think it, it makes, makes, a, a um, it, it's quite reassuring actually. Um, you know, because we, there's, there's a lot of social political rhetoric about the, the, you know, the harms, uh, you know, the, this moral panic about, um, social media and, um, you know, it reminds me of, you know, the social panic that, uh, moral panic that people had um, when comic books became popular. And then after that, it was like, you know, um, what was it, like video games and all that sort of stuff. <laughs> um, yeah. And I but, think it is, it's just like, we don't know what's coming with these things, right? So we want to protect ourselves. But I mm -hmm. think it's not one or the other. It has to be a bit of everything, you know, and, and mm -hmm. each of those are managed according to individual needs. But just because you're connecting online or, you know, through social media doesn't mean that you shouldn't then also be thinking about going out in the community now and then it's, it's both. And we have yeah. the, op the opportunity to have both. So let's, mm -hmm. let's use mm -hmm. both. Um, Tenzi, I, I wanted to ask you about what you thought of um, what seems to be like a surge in uh, uh, anxiety in in children um, in 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 our wider communities. It, it seems that we're seeing that in clinic, you know, with, with severe cases of anxiety, as as you know. But it seems that more and more people are uh, talking about anxiety, or at least they, you know, they they're starting to to say things like, "I I know so and so with an anxious kid." Um, it seems to be much more present now. Um, I, I don't know if that's because we're just 
more aware of anxiety being a thing or people are more um, uh, comfortable about talking about anxiety or, or maybe something is happening, um, you know, in our society that's, um, you know, um, agit agitating uh, kids and, and teenagers now. I, I wonder what you think about, about that. Mm -hmm. Yeah, it definitely does seem to be on the rise. Like I think I'm seeing more young people than ever and younger and younger coming through with quite significant anxiety difficulties. Mm. Um, so particularly just in the last five years, it feels to me from what I see coming through my clinic door that anxiety is on the rise. I think you're right. I think we're getting better at kind of labeling it or naming it. We kind of know that this uncomfortable feeling is anxiety, but we still don't, we're still not very good at how we respond to or manage that. And I feel like that's kind of at the crux of why so many are coming through, say, my doors as a psychologist and your doors mm. as a psychiatrist, that it's actually, um, I think the experience is the same. I think possibly mm. the way that we're set up in our culture these days, and again, kind of even just relating back to um, our disconnect with one another, I think that's creating a huge sense of um, loneliness and mm. um, anxiety and kind of worries about not being able to cope or not being able to manage because it kind of goes mm -hmm. against how we were designed. Um, mm -hmm. But I think, you know, a lot of our systems, particularly in education, um, do create quite a lot of anxiety. They are quite rigid in a lot of ways, although at the same time, we're trying to kind of create these modern le learning environments, which have, you know, lots of different options. Um, what we know with young people is that actually they feel really safe with boundaries. They feel very safe knowing kind of this is, this is the rule. This is where you're expected to kind of operate within. Mm. Um, so having those really clear, consistent boundaries creates a sense of safety. They know exactly where they stand within that. And I think we're sort of losing a sense of that in a lot of different um, settings. Mm. Um, but I think as well, Adults in general are super anxious, you know, like, and we're not managing our anxiety very well. Like we're overwhelmed a lot of the time because of the lives we live and the expectations and the perceived responsibilities that we have. Um, and again, not having a, a really wide group of people to kind of bounce ideas off of and feel supported by. We're kind of expected to have it all together mm -hmm. and be independent and not show any kind of weakness or uncertainty so we're kind of trying to fake it till we make it, but we're not making it. And our kids are kind of seeing that. Mm. <laughs> um, and at the same time, we're kind of giving the very clear message that you have to have it figured out too. You have to have it. And most of most kids are kind of like, I just, I just want to do what I want to do now, mm. <laughs> which is how kids are meant to be. Mm. But I'm noticing, particularly at college, it's at younger and younger ages, they're kind of expected to have it all figured out. Mm. Mm. much sooner than I ever remember feeling like I needed to have it figured out. I still don't have it figured out. Yes. <laughs> so I think there are these kind of pressures and expectations that are kind of being picked up along the way. Yes. Um, as you said earlier, like we adults are the most powerful role models for our children and young people, and they're watching how we do it. And we are masters of avoidance. <laughs> we will do anything to not have that uncomfortable conversation or acknowledge our responsibility and that mistake mm. or, um, kind of own it or kind of mm. be like, oh yeah, I wasn't at my best today, or mm. I felt really overwhelmed and I didn't have my thinking brain on, you know, mm. like 
we're the last to kind of just own up and say it because we don't want people to think badly of us or that we're a bad parent or, you know, a bad worker or whatever it is. So mm. we're trying to fake it till we make it. But then when we make mistakes, we, we don't really want to acknowledge or own that. We just want to move past mm. it. Um, if, and I grew up, you know, in a generation of kids where we were really to be seen, not heard. So mm. we were never really yes. asked to kind of name how we felt. That was never really appropriate. Mm. So we've got a whole generation of parents now, I think, who were never really taught how to regulate their emotions um, mm. in front of others. It was kind of like, just keep it in, bottle it up mm. or move it to the side or pretend it's not there. Mm. And now we're trying to parent kids um, and we're realizing that those strategies and those techniques don't necessarily work either, but we don't know a different way of doing it. Mm. Um so, you know, I think we don't have the toolbox or the skills necessarily mm. to kind of teach our kids about not avoiding anxiety, that actually what we need to do, the antidote to it is like opening up to it, being curious about it, mm. kind of learning about our own anxiety, its presentation, its triggers, its symptoms, and working with that and trying different strategies and different ways of responding to it to find out, you know, what works best. Mm. Um, but we as adults aren't doing that a lot. We're kind of just trying to shove it away or push it under the carpet and pretend yes. it's not there. And so our kids are like, well, what am I supposed to do? <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> well, what would you say to a parent who's, um, you know, in the throes of that struggle with themselves where they feel they might not be regulated themselves or have the skills to, um, to help their, their young person who they see as, uh, you know, struggling. Um, is there some sort of um, uh, protocol or uh, what sorts of tips would you have as a form of like mental health first aid, you know, for parents wanting to help their kids? Do you, do you have any tips for, for those people? I think first and foremost, it's just acknowledging that anyone who has a brain is mm. going to feel anxious that that's a really, really normal part of being human, that it's actually, it's an emotion. And what we know about emotion is that it's fluid. So it's always changing, but we tend to kind of hook into the parts that, um, that we fear won't change, that will kind of keep us stuck. So we got to just kind of know that, yes, feeling this way is really, really normal. I have a brain and my brain gets anxious sometimes. Um, but how I respond to that is completely in my choice. So you know, I can do what I've always done in response to feeling this way, which is possibly avoid. Um, but you know that that actually perpetuates anxiety. That actually makes anxiety bigger and stronger. Mm. Um, it gives it more power. Or you can respond in a way that um, maybe is more neutral or take some of that power away. Um, and first and foremost, what I would always say is like, if you can't calm your mind, start with the body. So calm your body first. So if you recognize those signs and symptoms that anxiety is creeping in, you're feeling overwhelmed, you're feeling really stressed, just stop and focus on calming your body. And that can be as simple as just taking one big, deep, calming breath right from your belly. Um, and if you can get that belly breathing going rather than the chest breathing, that's going to send a signal directly to that emotion center in your brain to say, hey, chill out, we got this, you know, so that's going to calm your mind. So you do have that toolkit within you, you've just got to choose to use it. So first, it's recognize how you're feeling, acknowledge that it's really normal, and then 
choose how you respond to that. And you can choose status quo, how you've always done it, knowing what that outcome will be. Or you can choose a different route. You can choose to practice something slightly differently or even just choose to pause, take a minute before you react. Um, so just creating a little bit of space there to calm your body, calm your mind before you respond can be what it takes to respond in a way that you're more proud of than if you just kind of react on autopilot the way you always react. Um, and that's a really valuable skill to teach our kids. You know, that's key. It's really simple, but really effective. I, there's so much in that that I want to unpack with you, Nancy, uh, but, uh, you know, we are running out of time, I'm afraid. And uh, for my listeners who want to know more, um, this is probably a good time for us to segue into me asking Tansy. Well, Tansy, how do we, how do we get more from you? How do we, um, you know, um, yeah, lock in with what you're doing? And um, I mean, do you, do you have a have a website? I understand that you've got a, a new program coming out, which is yeah. very exciting. Yeah. Um, yes. I wonder if you could spend a couple of minutes telling people how how they can access that. Yes, great. Well, so as you know, I'm in, I'm based in private practice, so I'm still seeing individuals there here in Taronga, um, but I don't have a website for that. You can just go onto the Praxis on 7th website and find me there. Um, but this exciting program that I've been developing, it's really been a passion project for me, particularly over the last three years, but it's been building since 2015 when I first started running a version of this program in schools funded through the Primary Health Organization. Um, and I was going into schools running this program with um, groups of students who were identified to be anxious and who would benefit from the program. And what I realized is there just wasn't enough of me to go around and I wasn't getting to all the students who could benefit through this program. So I had to think about how I could reach more people. And so I've designed this program called Chillax. And um, you can get all the information and details um, at www.chillax.org.nz. Um, but really, it's an anxiety um, skills program that's designed for um, schools and the classroom setting. And the idea is that teachers or SENCOs or um, RTLBs or any sort of staff working within schools can deliver this program. Ideally, it's um, designed to be provided to the whole classroom. So again, moving away from pathologizing anxiety and rather normalizing it. So right. like the experience of anxiety is something we all experience. Some of us experience it more intensely than others, but the skills and strategies that we use in response are the same. And really that's about creating the sense of connection. Like actually we all have brains, so we're all more similar than we are different. And we can all use these skills and strategies to help ourselves, but also to help each other out when we're having a tough time. So I, my dream is that any child who's feeling anxious, they can go to their neighbor or their teacher or their parent or their best friend or their best friend's mom or their swimming coach and say, oh, I'm feeling a bit nervous right now. and the people around them will have the understanding and confidence and I guess a few skills to say, that's okay. I'll just stand here with you and let's just do some belly breathing. 
you know, because one of the biggest things that I find in my practice is that, you know, I'll have parents or teachers call me about a young person who's anxious and their biggest fear is they don't want to do the wrong thing. Mm. And I really want to build up that confidence in our communities that actually we all have the tools and skills we need to manage anxiety really effectively, that not everybody needs to go into see Davin or Tansy mm. or our colleagues to manage this, that we can support each other in managing it effectively. So Chillax is part of my response to this. Um, we can all do this together. Um, and I really, really hope that more that lots of schools will pick it up and use it as just part of their teaching around health and well-being. Um, so I'm really hopeful that um, we'll get it off the ground. We've, it's been wobbly during the pandemic because schools have been under a lot of pressure and change. Um, but I can feel the momentum picking up now. So anyone who wants to know more, please go see the website. Feel free to get in touch. You can just click on the contact us bit and you'll go through to my lovely administrator, Dana, and she'll point you in the right direction and give you all the info you need. And of course, I'm based here in Tauranga as well. So don't be afraid to reach out. That's amazing. Thank you so much, Tansy. Um, I, I wish we had more time and um, I'm going to uh share the the links on, on on the show notes as well for people who want to go and check it out um but but I, I I'm very excited about the chillax program because it sounds very much like um like it offers a, a framework for for parents and teachers to um to stick what they already know onto it um because it sounds like it's not so much what you do but how you do it and um, you know, and if you if we can connect in an authentic way with other people, I think um, you, you can you can you can sort of tack on any any tools you want as long as you're making a connection. And um, uh, I think that's that's wonderful. So thank you very much, Tansy. I'm going to check it out myself. But um, <laughs> it, it, I don't know if you have um, any other. Um, things you want to to share we've got a couple more minutes um (laughs) (laughs) yeah yeah I I think I think I've said the big the big bits there you know I I do I feel like that that um sense of connectedness with one another is important and of course that we have to tap into our courage and our brave to do that to have those conversations and to kind of be vulnerable with each other um, I think we're kind of on the brink of, of wanting to do that and feeling ready to do it, but it's just going to take some, some brave individuals to take those first steps to make it safe and okay for the rest of us to follow. Um, so it's just getting better at kind of naming how we feel and recognizing it and putting it out there and knowing that it's not going to last forever. It's a temporary state. If you let it pass through you and you choose your responses wisely, hopefully it won't grab hold and become you know, a clinically significant issue. But, you know, having said that, if it does, then people like you and I are out there to help with that um, as well. But um, I don't think that everybody needs to come and see us necessarily, that these are skills that we all have as human beings and we can support each other in it. What an encouraging uh, word to end on. Thank you so much, Tansy, again, for taking the lead with, uh, with, with the program. And um, yeah, I hope that we can we can catch up again like this. Um, and so yes absolutely uh, and again for for listeners um, I will put um, Tansy's details in the show notes so if you want to check that out um, I do encourage you to do that all right well hey Tansy thanks again and um, yeah I hope to see you next time 
for um, for yes. another very 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 uh, invigorating conversation. <laughs> <laughs> Thanks for listening. Right. Lovely to see you. Thanks so much, everyone, for joining us. And um, if you want to check out Tansy's stuff, go and um, uh, scroll down to the show notes, and you'll find all the links um, to the things that we talked about on the episode. All right. So, hey, I hope you have a great week, my friendly friends. And, um, yeah, I hope to see you uh, next week for another episode of the Huddle Wisdom Podcast.